Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. Having that understanding of someone being able to articulate, this is what's happening and this is why it doesn't work for you anymore. And let's try a few different things because yeah. this might may work for you, this may not work for you. And if, if it doesn't, then we're gonna move on to the next uh, option. Today's episode is from our show, Your Finest Hour, where we interview one of our coaches from Novus Global, as well as one of their high-performing clients on how to make the most of the coaching experience. On Your Finest Hour today, I interview Novus Global Sport Director, Dan Leffelar, and Stanley Cup Champion, Andrew Ladd of the New York Islanders. Andrew discusses some of the mental challenges of being a rookie versus being a veteran in the league, and how coaching has helped him to focus those challenges into success on the ice. Described as the ideal client, Andrew gives his thoughts on why coaching has been so effective for him and how it also has helped him level up off the ice through his nonprofit, the lad foundation enjoy the show andrew thanks for being on our show man no problem man thanks for having me we're really happy you're here and really excited to dive in the coaching that you and dan have done for a while by the way so we have andrew lad and we have dan leffelar i want to contrast this conversation because this is actually the second conversation that we've had with a professional hockey player the last one was with, with luke shen and that was a fun conversation because luke is a little newer to the executive coaching space he's been working with dan for less than a year whereas andrew with you how, how long have you and dan been working together about a year and four months that, that is, is correct. That is correct. So yeah, a little bit longer. So yeah, he's got our anniversary marked down somewhere. <laughs> That's right. Actually, it's tattooed on his side. It's something that him and Laura talked about for a long time. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so it's actually tearing them apart or bringing them together. You know, it's it's a <laughs> probably probably the latter. That's right, Andrew. You bring people together. I do. Yeah, it's good. You, you really do. It's actually true. That's not even a, a made up thing. So, so, and, and I think we'll we'll get to that actually later. All joking aside. So for now, though, I want to start at the beginning. So, Andrew, I don't think it's obvious to people you are you know one of the best in the world at what you do. You know, a two-time uh, Stanley Cup champion. Let's go before you met Dan. What made you open to or interested in working with a coach, and and not necessarily like a you know an athletic coach? I mean, Dan obviously is has been an athlete in the past and that's a part of his life but he's really specializes in executive performance mental performance why were you even thinking about working with someone like that i met dan at an interesting time because i just come off of two major surgery like knee surgeries in less than a year i was coming back to a situation where i'd been sent to the minors here in new york and mentally i just wasn't in a great space i kind of lost my fire mm -hmm. is probably the best way to put it yeah and that, that's one of the things that has separated me from a lot of people throughout my career is just the ability to constantly be going at people and having that energy to to do that on a daily basis. Lucky for me, uh, I had another friend that was going through a similar situation and we, we would drive from Long Island to Bridgeport together. And that's where the conversation about Dan came up. He said, yeah, just give him a call. So I, I gave Dan a, a call and the rest is, is history, as they say. That's, that's right. And by the way, I appreciate your vulnerability in, mid, in talking about where you were. Is that a challenge that a, a lot of athletes face? Because I know that leaders face that. Like Leaders definitely get burnt out. They get tired. They, they feel like they're carrying a lot of weight. Is that common for people in professional sport? I think it's common to have those feelings. I, I, don't, I don't know if a lot of 
athletes understand it hmm. and know what to do with it. So that would be my biggest thing. And I mean, I've, I've learned a lot since starting to work with Dan of like, okay, there's, there's a different way to think. There's a different way to approach certain situations, which is something that we've worked on continuously. So I would say that's probably the, the biggest thing for athletes is just getting understanding of how this would help them. That's really interesting. So you like they're feeling it, but they don't know. Is that because they're not talking about it or because they don't have a framework for it? Like, why would it be harder to identify, do you think? Yeah, I think definitely not talking about it, but I, I think we're built in a way to kind of just keep going, right? Something bad happens. It's just like, get back up and try hard, try hard again. Just keep trying hard, just keep trying hard. Yeah. And that's been the motto built in your head since you were, you know, six years old. Huh. So I, I think we're, we're caught in that cycle and just that those are the habits that we innately have and and it's it's tough to, to break out of those unless you're willing to kind of step away and you know have a conversation with someone who can make sense of it and say hey like this might be a better way and then you have to be willing to, to try that so andrew i want to honor the process of you actually making this choice to invest in yourself there's a lot of options out there and not all of them are great and it's hard to know how to make a good decision what was it about dan that made you think that this was a good idea <laughs> you know i imagine the referral meant a lot like your friend mentioning yeah. it but then after that what made you willing to take the risk the referral from uh, a friend went a long way with me and and mm -hmm. i wouldn't say he's uh, you know free and easy with his money and and for him to, to make that kind of investment you know I, I thought it was very valuable to him so that was that was important for me and then on the other side like i've always been pretty motivated to invest in myself mm -hmm. but mostly physically right but mostly with trainers and and skills coaches and things like that i didn't have to be convinced investment wise really is after the conversation with Dan and seeing the value uh, that he could have just in the conversation that I had with him and how he challenged me. Hmm. And that's usually a good, good way to, to push my buttons is to challenge me. And um, <laughs> he had that, that, that picked up pretty easy. So, or pretty uh, early, I should say. Yeah. So I think the combination of those things uh, and where I was at, I, it was just, mm -hmm. I, I didn't have anything to lose. It was worth it. And I always, you know, see those investments as, as an education of, of sorts and, uh, and a way to learn too. So even if it didn't work out, I, I'm sure I would have had value from that standpoint too. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're the kind of guy that you're going to make the best of whatever happens. So you're not, you don't have to be as tre trepid about making a choice because you're going to maximize whatever it is you choose. Yeah, I, I try to. And, and then if it didn't, I mean, we, we had that conversation between me and him too, that, Hey, like if this doesn't work out, if we don't have a great feeling, then we could always go in different directions. So Luckily enough, it, it worked out. Yeah. What was the challenge? Like you, you can be as specific as you want, but like, so you had that first conversation. Do you remember what it was that Dan pushed that you're like, okay, this I don't like this, but I like this? Yeah. I think just pushing me in directions or, or challenging me in, to think differently. You know, the what ifs, like what if it didn't have to be in this way? Like what if the situation wasn't controlling you? What if you were controlling the situation? And that's one thing that always has stuck with me throughout this process, which, you know, Dan will be the first to tell you hasn't been easy the last year and four months either, right? It's been some challenging times. And I think the best part about it is I, I think I've maximized my enjoyment with even with, with hockey, but with my family and with friends and, and everyone else in my life. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things that I like about Dan is he, he cuts, he coaches beyond this. He doesn't coach just the sport. He coaches the sport plus, you know, the sport and beyond. I, I want to get into some of that too, and talk about your journey and, and how you've been leveraging him during the last year and a half or so. Dan, when you met Andrew, because by the way, Dan doesn't take everyone that he meets. Uh, you know, he's selective in, in his work as well, and and so that so that says something that about Andrew that Dan was willing to work with Andrew. Dan, what did you see in Andrew 
because the worst thing, by the way, Andrew, in the world is when someone pays a significant sum of money and it doesn't go well. And so we're always kind of scanning to make sure that that happens. Dan, what is it that you saw and maybe can say to our audience, maybe if coaches who are listening of how to choose your clients well, what is it that you saw in Andrew that's like, I would really enjoy working with this guy? So there was three things, actually, and I'll start backwards. The third thing that really landed powerfully was there was a real strong personal connection right off the bat. I could tell that right away. In the sense, I got off the first call I ever had with Andrew. And this is just, uh, again, this is why this is the third thing, because it's nice when it, it, we coach so many different people. There's lots of different relationships. But I got off the call with Laura. I'm like, that's somebody I could be really good friends with. And I knew that kind of instantly when I talked to Andrew that first conversation, not expecting that at all, but just going, hey, like there is a person sitting on the other side of the screen who I know wants to make the world a better place in his life and, and not just his world on the ice, his world off the ice, the world in his family, the world beyond that. And so I got that really strong impression, even though we didn't talk specifics about it too much, I think, in that first call, Andrew, I can't, you, you might correct me that there, but that was the third thing. This, the, the other two things that were really, really poignant for me was Andrew was at a space in his career where he wanted to grow in a new way. There was a desire to grow in a new way and an openness to that conversation. Whereas I have talked to guys who they're struggling or there's something not happening in their game. And you can tell in the conversation, they're not really the resistant to even opening up the way they think and talking about that and exploring different ways of thinking. And one of the things that Andrew did right away was pause and listen and then reflect and begin to explore his own thoughts in a way that I thought was, first of all, I knew right away he's going to get a lot of value because he was willing to do that. I think the first thing would be he wanted, this is actually very interesting about Andrew. He's very, uh, I'm talking like you're not here. (laughs) He's so good looking. That was number one on the list. That was number one. Physically, um, (laughs) it's a romance call right now. No, what what actually, the thing about Andrew, and I I knew this about him, I didn't know, I didn't follow Andrew's career closely, but I had watched him hockey to to know kind of his rep as a player. And Andrew is a guy who is like a dog with a bone. He is a stubborn son of a bitch. (laughs) And I knew that that could go either direction, that it was like, it wasn't a good thing or a bad thing. It was, how does he apply that tenacity in a way that serves the vision he wants to create for his life. And when we met, I could tell that the stubbornness was getting in his way in certain ways, not in all the ways, but some very specific ways. We may or may not talk in detail around some of those things, but those three things were huge things for me. It just says somebody meet Andrew. Yeah. Does that resonate with you or do you see yourself that way? Yeah, for sure. You know, especially from the standpoint of like maybe getting my own way, I think that was probably the, one of the bigger things we've overcome is just, I had a constant cycle of just kicking the shit out of myself, you know, like to, to try to motivate myself that way. And that's one of the first conversations we had. It was like, you know, you don't have to do that, right? Like there's, there's a different way and, and you can yeah. be a little kinder to yourself. And that's been something we're working on. I want to focus on that just for a second, if you're up for it, for a couple yeah. of reasons. One is because Laura Lafillard, Dan's wife, another coach in our firm, who's also working, I believe with your wife. Is that right? Yeah, she is. Yeah. It's a family thing. Uh, she just had an article. I think when this podcast launches, there'll be an article online that Laura just wrote about shame and the kind of ass kicking and the the way that most people rely on beating ourselves up as a performance enhancing drug. It sounds like you and Dan have done some work on finding a better way. 
I would love to hear both of you talk about that a little bit, because I think it is in every domain of excellence, whether you're an artist or a traditional leader in the business space or a leader on the on the ice or in the field, I think that is kind of the, the way that most people get performance out of themselves. And it works up until a point. Andrew, I'll, I'll just leave that as a context. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. And I think that goes back to like the feeling that I had of like, just not having the excitement and that fire anymore. It was because that wasn't working for me anymore. Hmm. Right. Early on when I was striving to be, you know, I was young and full of piss and vinegar and like, it was easier for me. Right. Like it's, but as I got older, it would, it just wasn't having the same effect. And I could feel that. Like I just felt like blurry blah when I was going to play games in front of, you know, 18,000 people. And I shouldn't have that. Right. I was like in my head, I'm like, I should be able to get a little more excited to, to play this game, hmm. not knowing why. Right. So I think yeah. like part of the process again was Dan being like, explaining to me why that doesn't work. And, and I think that's part of it too, is like having that understanding of someone being able to articulate, this is what's happening and this is why it doesn't work for you anymore. And let's try, you know, a few different things because yeah. this might, may work for you. This may not work for you. And if, if it doesn't, then we're going to move on to the next uh, option. One of the things that I've noticed in Andrew, but also in a lot of the, the athletes and, and performers and CEOs that we work with today is, is how frustration or fear, ultimately fear, is such a quick, accessible force for motivation, usually. Like it seems like it's so readily available. You can tune into it. And even, even when, and I have a theory about Andrew, even when Andrew was full of piss and vinegar in the past, he, there was a deep love he had for the game that he was playing that, that was there as well. So it wasn't just like, you know, Andrew's pissed off all the time playing this game. He's been, you know, he's been a team captain. He's led teams in, in, from a veteran presence, but also from a, he was on a rookie. He was a rookie with the Carolina Hurricanes when they won their Stanley Cup with a whole bunch of veterans. And so he's seen so many diverse situations in hockey. One of the things that I knew about Andrew is, especially when we first started talking, is like, this guy has fallen out of love with the thing he used to love. Hmm. And for me, uh, I was talking with an MLB pitcher uh, two days ago, very similar situation where the thing that you once got out of bed excited to go do is the thing you're starting to resent. And then a lot of the belief I think that happens with athletes, especially is, Oh, I'm done. There's no way to change this. This is the end. Not realizing that's, that's a collection of conversations they're having in their head that you can begin to shift if you're willing to unpack them. And for each guy, it's different. But for Andrew, I know initially that's where we started. So Andrew, you, and I think Dan both mentioned this idea of like, Maybe I'm I might be misspeaking, but kind of the the, the stream of self kindness or self compassion, and to be totally honest, when you're talking about high performance and mental performance and you know that kind of stuff, that feels like even I and I you know Dan and I do this for a living. Even I'm like, oh god, that sounds soft. That sounds like that's gonna ruin everything. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because how are you willing to try that? Because that could try something that could ruin everything. Yeah, it's funny. It's somewhat of the environment that you're in too, right? And speaks to the, the different situations that I've been as a player and in something we talked about with Dan, where it was like early on in my career, I didn't have much margin for error, right? So there was a lot of anxiety from that standpoint to be perfect and 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 be hard on myself if I didn't do something because you know that could have been like, oh, you might not, you're not going to play the next game, you know. And as I moved along in my career and had more success. I was afforded the opportunity to make more mistakes, which is funny because the, the top players are allowed to make those mistakes and not have the anxiety of like, oh man, I can't screw up or I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to miss a shift or I'm going to not going to play next game and they play better. So that mindset for that select few group of players with most coaches is an interesting one. 
to me for sure. Well, you know, in terms of pressure, I heard a conversation with Hugh Jackman recently, the Broadway Academy Award, all that guy, who is unbelievably talented as well. And he was saying, if you want to see the best Broadway show, go on a Wednesday in the afternoon, because that's when all of the artists and, and the performers are the most relaxed and there's the least, less amount of pressure. And that's when you're going to get the magic. Do you feel like that's true? Like the, the top performers have found like a pocket of safety because of their brand or their their momentum or the fans love them or whatever. And it allows them the freedom to be their best because there's not so much crippling. I can't make a mistake. I think so. Right. I mean, it, like I said, it's, it, you're afforded the opportunity that to make a mistake because you, you know, you're going to, you're going to have another opportunity. I think that's a big thing. And then as you, you know, for me, like getting older, when you're not afforded those opportunities, you have to start creating yeah. that mindset for yourself and and being a little more carefree might not be the right word but relaxed yeah and with what you're doing understanding that that's going to make you a better performer well and andrew actually we haven't talked too much about this but with the guys that i that we work with with Pelvis global sport who are in the early stages of their careers jay we spend time helping them cultivate the, the mindset of a veteran who can make mistakes even though they're in the context that they're not able to with the theory that, hey, the looser you are in hockey specifically or any sport, the looser you are, the more relaxed you are, the more connected to that. Even in the midst of a context where you, you know, one mistake could cost you everything. When you think that way, you don't perform well. But if you can think a different way and be connected to different thoughts in the moment, you're going to show up differently. And there's three guys actually right now in the NHL who are all kind of in that place in their careers. And it's been fun watching them, that three guys that I work with specifically fun watching them show up with a completely different mindset, even though everything's on the line and perform at a different level and actually enjoy it. It's kind of counterintuitive. And Andrew, would you say that's been your experience? Because Dan mentioned the love of the game. How has the coaching work affected like your, your love, maybe for yourself, but for the sport, for others? How has it impacted that? It's been good. I mean, we spent the most part of last year when I was playing in the minors building on that. And when I finally got the opportunity to play in the NHL again, like I had fun. I was excited. I, there was like that fire back and then scored a goal. This, yeah. Scored a goal. And then it's actually a good story because like that was, I've met Dan once per, in person and it was the day before basically the world shut down. So that it was like kind of just when I got back, I played a couple games, scored a goal, was feeling great. And then we had this little uh, pandemic <laughs> that shut down, shut down the world. So there was a little curveball, but but so seeing that whole process and looking back on it, that was a big part of getting back to just you know, like you said, enjoying the game and having having that excitement to just play hockey, which ultimately is is a game, right? Yeah, just like almost everything, you know, like because I feel like that applies to relationships, that applies to being on teams, that applies to artists creating art. As soon as you white knuckle the relationship it'll be hard for love to grow. As soon as you white knuckle the team, it's hard for the team to improvise and create. As soon as you white knuckle the artist, it's hard to paint when you're putting so much pressure on yourself. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit, Andrew. So for you and Dan, since you've been working together for, and even several iterations of contracts, I think a couple of different contracts you've gone through where you've re-signed up, what advice would you give people who are new in their coaching relationship is there anything you've learned over the time of working with Dan where you're like, hey, if you're starting off with someone, do this, don't do this in terms of how to get the most out of working with someone like Dan? Well, do you have any advice or anything you'd recommend? I think you get out of it what you put into it in terms of how honest and open you are. 
you know, I think that's one one of the things that I've done with Dan and Dan's done with me in return. We have a, a great relationship in that regard is, is the openness to have maybe some uncomfortable conversations and, you know, for him to say to me something and I'm like, I know he's right. I don't want to admit he's right. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> you know, a lot of that and that openness is really how you start making progress. And that's probably would be my, my biggest advice. Is that something that came naturally to you or did you have to learn that over time worth working with Dan or like, how's, what does the internal journey on that look like for you? Dan's very easy to talk to. So I think that having, you know, he's very empathetic and, and passionate about what he does. And, and so that setting for me really allowed me to open up. So I, I don't know if I would have had the same experience with with someone else. With Dan, I, you know, I found it pretty easy to start digging into the different things that, you know, I, I really hadn't talked about for, you know, ever. So it was good. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. So Dan created a safe space, a safe space to have dangerous conversations. Yeah. Dan, how about you? Like, and actually this is a different question. You can comment on the previous one, but also for you working with premier players, working with people at the top of their game. I think there's uh, oftentimes, and Andrew, you can speak to this in terms of being for lack of a better phrase, famous. Oftentimes when we work with people who are, have a degree of fame, people are always wanting to take from you. It's a, it's a different kind of life. Not that it's, it's hard and it's good in its own way. Obviously, you know, we shouldn't feel sorry for people for that, but Dan working with people who are impressive or who are famous, how does that work for you? And how do you not get swept up in, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to Andrew. How do you manage that process? That's a great question. That's a vulnerable question to ask in front of Andrew. <laughs> That's actually how he starts every call is, I can't believe I'm talking. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe I'm talking to Andrew. And I think actually one of the, it's funny because there is, I am a fan of hockey. I'm a Canadian and Andrew's Canadian. We can I, tell from the way that you say process. Yeah, that's right. Process, <laughs> all the processes. <laughs> Half the NHL is Canadian. And in Canada, like hockey and Andrew and I grew up in this culture in Canada where hockey is basically like, you know, the equivalent of a religion in our country. And so what was interesting is two things. One is I think early on when I was speed skating, I was around very successful athletes. I learned and I got to know people in the speed skating world who were multiple gold medalists. And, and so I realized these are people. These are just, they're people, incredibly talented people, creating incredible results with their performances. But at the, at the core of who they are, they're people. And so when uh, our mutual friend introduced Andrew to me, I recognized his name. I was excited to get a chance to chat with him. But the moment those emotions start to come up, one of the things that I, I ground myself into is there's a lot of people in the world who respond to Andrew or to other guys that we work with that way. And what makes us unique is uh, a willingness to put that aside and really pay attention to this human being in front of me or in front of us and know that they're, they've got things going on for them that they don't feel like they can talk to many people because of who they are. And that also will unlock different areas of their life and quality of relationships and dynamics that maybe they haven't even realized were there. And so for me, like there has been a couple moments in my career where I've been starstruck in my head, but very quickly go, oh, well, this slow down. Like that doesn't help me here. That doesn't help me show up powerfully for this person in front of me, Andrew being one of those, one of those guys. And one of the best texts I got in the first, maybe it was a month of working together, Andrew, Andrew's wife made a comment about how much Andrew was different at home. And I know most people in the sports world care about the performance on the ice. I care about that. I want to see guys excel. And that's what, that's often why guys work with, with us and with our team. But to hear that, that someone who loved Andrew personally 
was seeing a change and liked it to me was was a huge win. And so I, in some ways, I connect to that side of the conversation in my head before I start talking to somebody who's quote unquote famous. As an athlete or, you know, someone with a platform, I think it's you appreciate people that are genuine and you, you start to be able to pick genuine people out really quickly. I think that's something that like, you know, instantly Dan and I had right away was like, there, there was just a genuine care for how the other person was living and, and what they were doing and, uh, and all those sorts of things. So. And to brag on Andrew for a minute, Andrew is a player who, yeah, yeah. Bring it up. Yeah, just, for those listening to the audio podcast, <laughs> Andrew is like, yeah, that, that sounds like a good, even the hand, the universal hand gesture of yes, I'm ready to, <laughs> that is, that is an accurate thing to say. <laughs> And, and and I've noticed this in a lot of the guys that I work with, but Andrew, I think, is, is even more pronounced is Andrew genuinely cares about the people around him. And whether it's rookies in the AHL, uh, guys on his team, his current team, the Islanders, uh, even people that he's struggling to, uh, you know, deal with or, or frustrated with. There's a genuine compassion and, and care and desire for what's best. That's one of the reasons I think why personally we've resonated so much together, because that's, I think, at the very core of what I'm about to. Yeah, and I, I've definitely it's fun being an outsider watching that happen and rooting for Andrew uh, from afar is, uh, is 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 a fun experience. So then, a couple questions now, just about the nature of the work itself, and actually, so two parts here just to give you a preview of where we're headed. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of Andrew, your work being under the bench press of refalling in love with the game. So there's that piece, but then also I do want to talk about your affection for things off the ice and your decision to take. Dan's work with you and apply it not just in the space of your athletic prowess. So why don't we do those in that order? So let's start with some of the nuts and bolts. How does one begin to rediscover a love for the game? What do the conversations look like every you know seven to 10 days with Dan, where you're kind of rediscovering that whole thing? Can paint us a picture of how that works? The first step was really just tearing it down, simplifying what I actually love about the game. Like when I started playing hockey, what did I love the most about playing the game and whether it was scoring goals or, you know, feeling the air in my face as I was skating or like all those different sensations. Like really that was the start of like, oh, that brings me back to when I was young and just playing with my brothers and even having street hockey and stuff like that. It really is as like simple as that, but like grounding myself in those things constantly on a daily basis from from the get-go really helped me get in that mindset of like, oh, like I'm going to do that thing I love today and and I should enjoy that. And has that become a habit now? Do you feel like that's still a piece of the world or was that just something you did for a season to bring you back to something? No, for for me, it's constantly, I, and we, we talk about switching it up and and finding things to keep me engaged in that. It's been pretty constant since, uh, since we started. I'll say to Andrew, without going into the specific details of like what's happening with the team and everything right now, but Andrew's in a situation where I think most players would have every right to be resentful, frustrated, bitter, not just in terms of showing up to work, but also in terms of just showing up in life. And Andrew in the last year has done the opposite of all of those things. I'm excited to see the fruit of that. Like there's a fruit in that already right now in terms of how he's experiencing this current circumstance. But I know there's a lot of seeds being planted for the future for for Andrew in general. I think that the advantage of having those conversations every seven to 10 days, you know, because like you said, it's been a tough year and it's been a crazy situation. And there are like, I've gone two weeks and then I can start see myself like, man, I'm like, grumpy bastard today you know like i gotta gotta talk to someone right yeah Um, and so having a conversation with dan and 
I always feel energized coming out of calls with Dan. And I, you know, the value of that and my wife, you know, come skipping down the stairs, stairs and my wife will be like, oh, you must have talked to Dan. And I'll be like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. So from that standpoint, just that constant reset of like, all right, how do I want to approach this and not get caught up and being dragged back into letting that situation control me? And that, that's actually a great transition. You know, speaking of you skipping down the stairs and, and the, the, the energy of that leaking into your life with Brandy, your wife, and was that an intentional decision in terms of bringing the coaching into your world outside of your day job? Or was it, has it always been a part of that? I would say we're, we're pretty, it was probably 75% hockey and then 25% family. Uh-huh. And then depending on where we're at with how things were going with hockey, I think it, if things are going well with hockey and I had a good handle on, on what I was doing there, it would shift more to like, you know, Brandy and my three kids and, and how I could enjoy my time with them and, you know, make those connections even stronger. Andrew's ability to really understand that the space is about refining and refocusing and expanding what's happening in areas of his life that matter. So uh, what I love about Andrew is he shows up to the call with a fairly good sense of where he wants to go and what's most pressing. And then we go and expand that. So in some ways, it's like in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of playing in the minors, sort of in the midst of, you know, bubble life and all the COVID testing. The really the question that we've been sitting at is how do you use this time so well people are shocked? a year from now like what did you do during covid when all this stuff was happening how did your game grow how did your family grow how did your relationships grow and we'll talk about this a little bit more how did the foundation begin to form and next steps there so really it's been about enhancing the quality of the time that's being used because i find a lot of guys that i work with and jason i think you would agree with this and andrew i'm sure you know people like this too they've got lots of time they're not using it they're not using it they, they think they're using it well but there's a whole another level of, of a conversation or uh, results they could be creating in their life. They weren't aware of it. Yeah. And I, I've seen like the value of getting away from the game, right? I think a lot of, for like a, a lot of young kids, especially it's hockey, 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 or whatever sport they're in. And they think about that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They don't allow themselves to get away from it, which, you know, when things go bad, that, inherently works against them in, in a lot of different ways. Let's actually go there. And Dan did a great job teeing that up. So talk a little bit about what's happening now as you are looking at your life, including sport, but now thinking bigger than sport. Talk to us a little bit about what you're up to. It sounds like it might be in some ways as a result of the coaching. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but talk to us about what you're up to. Um, yeah, for sure. The coaching was definitely an inspiration in terms of how to attack what our foundation wanted to do next. So our lab foundation, the foundation me and my wife started, and originally we just found 501c3s and nonprofits that we supported. So whether that was Canadian Mental Health in Calgary or where actually where Dan lives and another organization called Foundry in, in British Columbia that, you know, was creating mobile mental health units basically to go to different schools and stuff like that. So we supported different causes like that. But in doing so, I think me and my wife are very particular and detailed people. And we always wanted to have something that we felt like we could have our hands on from the ground up and, and really make sure that it was done the right way and could make an impact. And it's it, mental health has always been something that has affected both of our families. And I think, you know, you talk to anybody, they're definitely, you know, everybody in some way deals with some form of mental health, you know, and talking to Dan and being like, think of it as like, you're going in the gym and, and lifting weights for your brain, like that just like clicked for me, right? Then the thought was like, oh, how do we use that mindset for kids and really get to them at a, a young enough age where we can 
give them a strong base to start their life and navigate different challenges that come their way and not only navigate them, but like embrace those uncomfortable moments and, and attack them. From that, we're in the in the midst of creating a program called 1616. And the basis of 1616 is, is in 1616, they coined the term buffalo because when a storm hit, cattle would most cattle run away and then they get caught up in the storm they get separated and, and they get hurt. Whereas Buffalo band together and they go into the storm so that they get through it quicker. Come on. So it kind of fit with like I'm number 16 and that story really resonates in terms of like, Hey, like this is what we're trying to teach kids of instead of just, you know, running away from issues and, and trying to do things that you're comfortable with, like go into those uncomfortable situations and, and how do we teach them to attack those different things, which really is going to make them, you know, better people. Um, not only athletes, but better people in the long run. So we're trying to use hockey as, as the delivery system and connect with different stories of guys around the league and, and hopefully, you know, motivate not only the kids, but the parents and the coaches to get on board with this this way of thinking and, and drive some change into the whole ecosystem. That's incredible. I lo- I do love that metaphor. That Buffalo thing gets me every time. I just I just love, yeah. love, love that. So talk to me a little bit about how the coaching intersected that. And, and both Dan, you and Andrew can respond to that. Like, do you bring things that are going on in the foundation into the coaching space? And if so, what does that look like? I worked with Dan a fair amount, just even in, in handling you know, different situations with my kids and how, what, how do I think about when they're having different challenges and really like who they are as people, which is, has been a big learning experience for me. Uh, so I think I've, I've taken a lot of, you know, the stuff that I've done and has worked for me within the hockey realm and with my family, but also with like my kids and how I'm approaching them and just seeing their habits already. You know, my oldest is 80, plays hockey. And, and when he makes a mistake, it's, you know, head down and he's already beating himself up. So like those kind of thoughts go through my head and it's like, how do I approach him with empathy and with understanding of the way that he thinks to help him understand like there's a better way and, and to really start to build those habits that are, are going to make him more robust as a, as a person and to be able to handle those things. Part of the initial conversation, this is maybe a little more technical, Andrew, but like foundations existed for a while and, and Andrew and Brandy have been raising money and doing incredible work and have this amazing fiction event that normally happens pre-pandemic. And really, the, I remember the conversations, Andrew, where you're like, I want to do more with this. I want to have a much more specific impact. And you had gone down that road in the past a little bit with kind of mixed results, but a desire to re-engage and do not just raise money, but create a program that could really really hit at the thing that you wanted to see happen in, in young kids. And so, and there's more details that I'm sure we could share, but specifically 10 year olds in hockey, getting some of the best professionals in the world in terms of hockey skill, as well as mental performance together um, to create something that would really resonate with them. And that's been an organic conversation that we've, I think regularly we've been having conversations about what that looks like and what does it mean? And I know Andrew, I'm trying to think of, there's been a couple calls where we're just, it's, it's ideation central. It's like lots of ideas on a whiteboard and like what matters to you. But actually, can I ask a question, Andrew, uh, that maybe people don't really know this about you, but can I say, no, you're not the host. <laughs> you can, I'll ask you the question. You can say no. Um, then you can just text me the question and then I'll. <laughs> Andrew grew up with family members and people in his home. Uh, his parents opened their home up to some people with some special needs and disabilities. And so Andrew grew up in an environment with people who actually disrupted his thinking early on. And I think really set the stage. And Andrew, would you mind just speaking a little bit to that and how it kind of influences what you're doing now? So I grew up with stepbrothers that had both mentally and, and physical disabilities. Um, my uncle, 
So my mom's brother had had Down syndrome. So she grew up with that. And the big reason why we fostered Bruce and Dave, you know, so they lived with me my entire life. And, and Dave was, you know, Dave had cancer twice and, and broke his hip and he's got no arms and one eye. And then Bruce has, has fetal alcohol syndrome. So he's pretty able-bodied, but you know, still a, a lot of challenges. So having them in my life at a young age, and, and it's funny, this whole process of the foundation and, and talking to Dan and really digging into like how that affected me. I don't know if I really understood how much of an impact that had on me until I was, you know, even mid twenties and into my thirties now, like, oh, like that was valuable for me as a person to like, understand that a, like I was lucky to, to be as healthy as I was. And it was funny. I, I was tell this story, but my bedroom was in the basement in Dave's bedroom. And Dave is, is one of the most positive, happy people you'll ever meet. He loves his music. And he would sit in there and listen to it all day long. And so every morning, like I was, you know, probably 13, 14 at the time, angry, angry teenager. <laughs> and I'd walk by his bedroom every, every morning, every morning, like to a T it was good morning <laughs> as, as I walked by and I was just like, Oh, give it a, you know, give it a rest, man. Like I'm, I need to get some food in me, but he was relentless with that. And then, and the more I kept walking by and hearing that every morning, like the more I was got on board and was like, I guess resonated with me that like, Hey man, like he just loves life. And like, it started to rub off on me. And I, I'd always end up walking up the stairs with a smile on my face and, and starting my day off. Right. So I think little things like that, for me had a, had a big impact on me. And then, you know, my parents empathy for them and, and their willingness to take on the challenges of them living with us. And, and what that entailed too was a big part of who I am today. I want to splice that because some people can have that experience. All parties involved, by the way, can go through that experience and come away resentful and frustrated and hurt. I think it says something about your stepbrothers and you and your parents that you worked together to create experiences and memories that were life-affirming and positive. It's always interesting. I always want to make it a point where people are like, yeah, that affected me in a positive way. And if a hundred people go through the same experience, it would affect all of them in a positive way. And that's from our experience, Danilai's experience, that's simply not true. People can go through the exact same experience and have totally different outcomes in their lives from it. And so I think that says a lot about you. And it, it, just to honor our time as we wrap up, Andrew, you really are and again, this is, we're joking before we started rolling. We're, we follow each other on Instagram and that's the, like the extent of our connection. But Dan, Dan has been well respecting. I, I learned a lot uh, today and I've known about you and Dan was working with you for you know a year and a half. And so it shows that we protect confidentiality stuff around here, but you could feel Dan's affection and honor that he's had working with you. And I do want to say this as we close, you are an ideal client in terms of, as we think about the kind of people we like to work with, we like to work with people. We long to work with people who not only long to do well, but also long to do good. And so I want to thank you for using Dan in a way to not only help you on the ice, but off the ice and the things that matter, not only to you, but matter to a lot of people in the world who are trying to figure out what does it mean to be a good person and what does it mean to be excellent at what I do? And so thank you, Andrew, for making time for us. Dan, thank you as well. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me. You know, this whole process has been fantastic for me. And I think the best part is that you get to meet great people that are doing great things and you guys are are definitely doing that. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing what you guys are going to do in the future too, because I know there's there's big things coming. I want to echo that back at you too, because uh, we don't know how the story is going to go, but we do know uh, we are going to be in it. So I'm deeply grateful for the chance to, to spend time with you, man. So thanks for taking time today too. Yeah, of course. Thanks, guys.
Well, thanks so much, Andrew. Really a pleasure. Before we hop off, uh, where can people find you? I don't always ask that questions, but, but I want people to be able to connect with you. Like, where, where do you exist out in the ether where people can appropriately connect with you? Hey, yeah. So on Instagram and Twitter, I'm a lad 16. So a L A D D one six ladfoundation.org is our foundation site. And then 1616.org should be up and running soon too. So all the info should be there in terms of how to support the cause, what we're up to and, and how we're going to change that ecosystem that we're trying to impact. I love it. I love it. Thanks a lot. No problem. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like us, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and remember, dare to go beyond high performance.